With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they're too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. That's Psalm 142, which along with Psalm 140 are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, November the 26th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We're continuing our look at prophecy in the Old Testament. Today is Isaiah 24, 14 to 23. We're also continuing our study in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 6, and in Matthew's Gospel, the 20th chapter, verse 17 to 28. So they lift up their voices, they sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So it's coast to coast, east to, or west to east, as, as it may be. For the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. In other words, the, the, the good news, the, the love of God, the worship of God is now all over the world. But I say, I waste away, I waste away, woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed. With betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. So what Isaiah is bemoaning here is a failure within the camp. It's the, the world rejoices at the glory of the Lord, but in the camp, there's a problem. And what he's seen is, is that the leaders of the people are the ones who have betrayed. They have betrayed the Lord and they've betrayed the people. And so the in the camp, all is, is wrong. It might feel okay. It might look okay. But the reality is, is that Isaiah sees there's a problem. God told him there was a problem, and he sent him to be with these people and to give his word to them. And so he sees this problem in the camp, in spite of the fact that all over the world there's praise going up to the Lord. <laughs> so he continues to say, with this terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. And the inhabitant of the earth is one who, who has both feet firmly planted in the world, not one who sees themselves as a sojourner in an exile, as Peter spoke of in yesterday's lesson. And so yesterday was a time of great thanksgiving, and, and everything, well, sort of looks good, because, well, now nothing actually looks good. Nothing looks as good as it did, say, three years ago. Or 10 years ago, I'm not picking any particular period of time. I'm just saying that the, the so much has changed in the last three years that now we look up and we see that, that we are brought low. Our prosperity is gone. We, there's less everywhere. Uh, what in the world has happened? And that's exactly the, the situation that Isaiah is seeing, is, is that things looked okay from the outside, but literally on the inside, things were rotting and going to pieces terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. In other words, there'd be no way to escape. There's no way to escape the justice and the judgment of God. For the windows of heaven are open, and the foundations of the earth tremble. 
the windows of heaven are opened and so the 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 god is coming is the message god's coming and the foundations of the earth tremble the earth is utterly broken the earth is split apart the earth is violently shaken the earth staggers like a drunken man it sways like a hut its transgressions lie heavily upon it and it falls and will not rise again and it's the judgment is going to be shown in the heavens and in the heavenlies and that's all through the book of the revelation that we've just finished studying that we see that the judgment comes there and the judgment comes to the earth it's not it's not a, a metonymy and it's not really a metaphor here because what we do see is that the earth shakes the literally the the heavens display the glory of the lord however in the judgment all that's wiped out and taken down and he says on the day that the lord on the that day the lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth and so we we see here that there's this dual judgment but everything is judged at the same time and it's what we hear and what we see and we're going to see some of this in that first peter lesson too which quotes is speaking from the book of enoch uh, is is a big chunk of what Peter's trying to say in his uh, argument in First Peter, but here we see that God's going to judge the host, punish the host of heaven in heaven, and the kings of the earth on the earth. There's going to split the two realms, and those that have rebelled on the earth will be judged on the earth, and those who have rebelled in the heavenly places will be judged in the heavenly places. The end of these things is all in the same place. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. So it, it speaks of a time when they're, when the spirits of men and the spirits of uh, the heavenly host are likewise equally judged and, and imprisoned together, but prior to the announcement of the punishment, the sentence that's on them. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. And so it, we, we can hear so many echoes of that. For instance, that passage right there in the book of the Revelation, that, that we see this judgment in the heavenlies and we see this judgment on the earth. And then we see those bound into the pit and held there until the time of sentencing. But there's a time when they have free reign on the earth. But, but we have to recognize that there is betrayal or there is treachery. And it's betrayal by others, other human beings, but there's also a betrayal in the heavenlies that's spoken of. And so we, we've got to keep alert. We must be constant in prayer in order that we can discern the times that we're in and we can discern the word of the Lord in these messy times. Whose voice are we hearing? Are we hearing the voice of fear? Are we hearing the voice of God? Are we, we've got to remain constant in prayer to know the truth behind all things. <clears throat> and then acting on the truth is going to require us even more to be in prayer because that's not going to be popular. It's not going to be something that, that other people will delight in. And so we've got to remain strong in our faith and strong in what we know. In the gospel lesson, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, so they're, they're going for the Passover, the Passover that, that will end in Jesus' crucifixion. So as they were going up to Jerusalem, 
he took the twelve aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. So this is what's going to happen, is that the chief priests and the scribes will deliver the Son of Man, me, to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. They didn't have the power to carry out a death sentence. They didn't have the authority or the ability to do that in a Roman territory. Any place that's governed by Rome is Roman territory, and so they are the ultimate justice. And so so Jesus can be condemned to death by the Jews, but they don't have the power to carry out the execution. And so they've got to deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and to be raised on the third day. He told him every single thing that was going to happen prior to going to Jerusalem. And so they're up in Galilee, up in Capernaum, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, we're able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom it's been prepared by my Father. It, it, we hear this in, in uh, Luke's gospel. Uh, you'll, you'll see in that gospel, it, it's James and John themselves who come up and ask Jesus to do this. I'm sorry, that's Mark's gospel, that, where they come and ask Jesus for this, quote, favor. Um, it, and it, it's ultimate hubris, right? Whether it's them or their mother asking for this thing, it, it's easier to sort of swallow if you're if you're dealing with the mom. But I mean, these are not kids; these these are adult, grown men. Probably have wives, had been in business with their father, and they're big fishermen. I mean, these guys would have been strong and all this kind of stuff. And so, it, mom comes up and asks for this. I mean, it's a little, like I said, it's a little easier to swallow because the hubris seems a little less than two guys who have been with Jesus three years with, well, ten other guys, <laughs> and asking that they have the chief seats, the most prominent seats when Jesus comes into his kingdom. You can understand mom wanting this, but the, but Jesus' thing is, can you drink the cup that I drink? And they, they say, yes, we're able to do that. And, and it's like they've, they've not understood what that cup is, that, that this, is a, this is the cup of judgment, the cup of God's judgment on the world. And so Jesus will drink it for us. But John, but that that's not complete because we know that the world didn't give up, and so there's more of the world's judgment and scorn that'll be poured out on his, on his people, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You don't know what you're asking, but you're gonna drink that same cup with me. It, you're gonna you're gonna pay for your allegiance to me. <clears throat> And then the ten heard about it, and they were indignant at the, other, at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rules, rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you know, hey, you get basically you guys are upset and and the reason you're upset is because you just didn't have the chutzpah to come and and ask me for the same thing that that they just asked for but we have we're called to be those people who who are not seeking out those uh, chief seats there's a price to pay for those chief seats 
but but we're not to be those who seek that. We're to be those who seek to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and it's that way that he says that you will rise to the top. And, and what he's saying is it's not like it is in the world. You're still thinking in ways of the earth. You're still thinking in the ways that, that unsaved people think. The kingdom of God is not like that. That's the world you live in, but you're supposed to transform the world you live in in the way that I'm transforming it by giving my life as a ransom for many and here to serve, even as a son of man, not here to rule, here to serve. So in the First Peter lesson now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing good? And that's his point in following uh, the dictates of, of the government is to say, um, don't, if, don't, don't do evil. <laughs> um, and, if, if, and he says, look, who's there zealous to, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. And Peter knows. Peter did suffer for righteousness' sake. Most of the apostles suffered for righteousness' sake. It, it didn't go well with them, and it didn't end well with them, and it didn't end well for Peter, who was crucified himself. So he's saying, you know, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you know, who, who's got, who is there to harm you? Well, Jesus, or not Jesus, Peter knew. Because Peter saw the suffering of Christ, who did only good. And then he saw and experienced persecution from the Jews while he was in uh, Jerusalem after the healing of uh, the crippled man at the beautiful gate. And so he knows that there are those who are there to harm them if they do, if you do good. But he says, even if you do, even if you are, you're going to be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. And that's exactly what Jesus said, right? Don't, don't fear those who can only harm the body. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. So in other words, there's supposed to be something different about you. You're supposed to, to be the person who has hope when there is no hope. And that would be the thing that prompted other people to come and ask you about that hope. And so you be prepared to make a defense for that hope. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So always walk and live in such a way that, that you give no offense to others, but always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that lives in you. For it's better to suffer for doing good than should, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Well, I mean, you know, who would argue with that? <laughs> if you do evil, then you deserve it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again, it's, what are you living for? What's your kingdom? What, what are you looking at? And that's the thing that the inhabitant of earth, are you an inhabitant of earth, or are you a sojourner in exile in the earth? So he said, but he was made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. These are the ones that I'm talking about, that, that this is coming from the book of Enoch. These are the ones, the watchers, the ones who came down to earth in uh, the beginning of um, Genesis 6, the ones who came down and the angels who left their places and came down to earth because they saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they had children, and those were the Nephilim, the mighty men of old, the giants that were in the land. And for a long time, people wanted to skirt around that and say it was something else. But then, well, there's fossil evidence of these giants that are in the land, so it would not only sort of 
validate that, but it would also validate this whole thing with Goliath being as big as he was. And so there's there's actually fossil evidence of those things. And so the book of Enoch picks up and tells us about the sin of the watchers. And the sin of the watchers had to do with not only this coming to earth and mating with, with women, leaving their proper spheres, but they also brought knowledge that was given to the angels, but not to men, not to sinful humanity. There was much knowledge to be gained in the in the garden, but because we chose the knowledge of good and evil rather than other things, then then we lose the ability to know the things uh, that that angels know. They would have been and could have been knowable to us if we had refrained from uh, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the the watchers, these who came down, imparted that knowledge, and basically then it becomes witchcraft to the women that they married and to their children likewise. And so these are the ones who are now imprisoned. And so Jesus goes, because they formerly didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So that's the reference there to those spirits that are in prison. Baptism, which corresponds to this, this being the flood, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, that whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In other words, you, you, you were formerly an inhabitant of the earth. That means you were settled, you were part of the earth's uh, economy and ecosystem in, in a specific kind of way. Now, however, you've been saved out of that, and you have gone through the waters of baptism, and Christ has gone through and suffered on your behalf. And so now the appeal is to a good conscience, it's to, it's to a transformed life because of that. And so you're no longer an inhabitant of the earth. You, you're a sojourner and an exile here in the earth. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drunk drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they were surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they'll give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. The dead people there, the dead to whom the gospel's preached, is us. Those who were formerly dead in our sins. We were truly dead. We weren't dying. We were dead. We were without hope. We didn't know we were dead, but we were dead in our sins. We had literally no hope of life at all in us. We had what appearance of life, but was death working in us. And now, because the Spirit of God, life in us. We're no longer inhabitants of the earth. We are now inhabitants of the heavenly kingdom, and we are sojourners and exiles on the earth. Let us make that distinction clear by the way we live, by the way we love, and by the way we hope.